Hello, everyone. Welcome. We are live. This is the Neurodiversity Media Network, and I am your host, Briar Harvey. Today, we are here with the fabulous Heather Claus, and we are going to be talking about the NeuroSpicy Guide to Dating. We're doing dating because this is where dating relationships resource management right that's what we're talking about today yeah. is how do you identify where the gaps are and what you need to do to protect yourself when it comes to managing your neurospicy brain so yeah very excited about this I think that, you know, the the more I talk about um, dating as a neurospicy person and the more I talk to non-neurospicy people, more neurocommon types, um, the more I want to stress that these techniques are good for everyone um, they just become more and more necessary the further from the mean or the average that we are in good ways as well, right? Not just, you know, how odd are we, but also how freaking amazing are we that other people may not totally comprehend if we don't understand it and can't spell it out for them. So, yeah. And it's the spelling out that's hard, right? Like that's the place where so many of us get stuck. Y you want me to state my needs clearly when they have so often been rejected in the past. And that's the part that, you know, I think, again, all people, struggle with. I mean, I just, I just wrote a book called Take No Shit. In fact, I'm going to brag a little bit for a very brief time this past weekend, I hit number one in my category on Amazon. So I now have a number one bestseller. Ooh, yay me. Yay. Um, and it's all about boundaries, right? And one of the chapters in that book is it's not your fault. It's not your fault you have craptaculous boundaries. We are socialized to, as, as somebody was telling me today, you know, especially as children, to be seen and not heard, to do what our parents say, to share even when we don't want to or we shouldn't have to, to, you know, give that creepy uncle or slobbery aunt a kiss or whatever. And then we're sent to school and told to do everything they tell us there, even when it infringes upon our boundaries. And then we get into our first admittedly juvenile relationships where we are children and we're horribly selfish because we're children and we traumatize each other by saying you're not doing this right you are to this or not enough that or whatever and we carry those traumas forward into all of our relationships and it messes everything up add in the factors of actually 
being neurospicy and having these challenges in other areas as well. And it becomes like this yoke that we carry instead of being, you know, hey, I'm proud of who I am. I'm accepting of who I am. I'm going to share who I am with you and invite you to opt into the excitement and adventure and sometimes challenge that is being with me. It's, it's, it's a ride, I like to say, and you've opted in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, people can say to me and, and actually do quite often, like, you are just, you know, fill in the blank here. And I'll say, yep. And yet you are right here with me. So I think that says more about you than it does about me. <laughs> Absolutely. I was born this way. <laughs> you know, so I'm, I also find it, it's, it's useful to not only accept and love, you know, all these aspects of me, but also to be lighthearted when I'm interacting with other people about it so that they can kind of find their set point in, yeah, I guess this is kind of weird, but it's not as awful as like my brain immediately thought it was. It's actually not, not that bad at all. You know? Got a little so thing. we have a whole entire list here yes we do resources to manage i want to start at the top I let's love start oh, yes we're obviously all in a good place here with the listless let's start with emotional management what does that mean how do we do it so emotional resources are all across the board. Now, we talked in the first episode that we were not going to speak directly to diagnoses. So what we're going to be doing instead is speaking directly to our behaviors, our symptoms, and our neurotypes. So emotions and the resources that we have to look closely at can be things like, do we experience mania? for example. And what are the signs of that, that either we can start to recognize and or we can share with others, right? This is how you can see me starting to do these things. The same on the other hand for things like depression. And understand when we talk about depression, you don't necessarily have to be clinically diagnosed as depressed to experience depression. Depression can be physiological, right? So if you have um, physical challenges, your body might depress the, you know, physical ability and mental ability in certain areas to cope in order to put resources to something else that needs healing or whatever. So depression is a natural function of life. Um, so that's important to understand. So mania, depression, impulsivity. Mm -hmm. Do you have challenges with impulses? You know, like, do you have a tendency to act before you think and then go, hold on, wait a minute, reverse that, didn't mean it, got it. 
you know, if you do working with a partner who is willing to say, hey, hold on. Wow. That was really harsh and really hurt. Did you mean it the way that it came across? Right. Something as simple as that and saying that, asking a partner to do that with you can in the long run make a huge world of difference. Right. Um, then, you know, you do have, we do have the one diagnosis of um, rejection sensitivity disorder, but anybody who has anything to do with, I hate being, feeling that rejection, right? And how do we react to rejection? Some people lash out quickly. It goes along with impulsivity. It goes along with anxiety. It goes along with ADHD. There's so much there, right? But knowing that you have it, and allowing somebody to say, wow, that felt to me like a big reaction for what's going on. Did we hit a button? Right? Pause, couple of minutes, think about this, coming back around, right? Stress. So all of these things when we are medicated or when we are doing our um, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy or, you know, when we are practicing our um, best behaviors, we might be, as I like to call it, getting human rights. But then stress comes along and we might be more susceptible into backsliding during times of stress. And I don't know like how most of you feel, but generally relationships, especially until they level out, are great sources of stress. Not only negative stress, like, okay, you have an argument. Does this person really like me? Maybe they don't like what I said just there, but also positive stress, the stress of being in love, the stress of the obsession and the mania and the, I can't sleep at night and, you know, staying up for hours on the phone talking and not getting enough sleep. That is stress in and of itself. And it causes us to maybe slide into cycles and patterns that can be hard. So being aware of that and sharing that. And then the last thing I really want to focus on when it comes to emotions is for some of us, the ability to express emotions, mm -hmm. you know, just letting people know I have a hard time with this maybe having a conversation around love languages and saying, you know, this is a way that I can in my brain attach to, I feel a particular thing and I can do that. I may not be able to, you know, write you poetry or sing you love songs or remember to tell you, I love you on a regular basis. But what I can do is always do the dishes or as, as, um, you know, one of those, uh, neurodiverse, uh, love actions, pebbling, right? I found this pebble. Always. I'll always make a pretty rock. Yeah. Or, or, or memes, right? Memes. Uh, this Absolutely. Meme made me think of you or cute puppy videos or whatever it is. These are the things I can do 
even when I fail at those other things. So can we learn to speak each other's languages in these ways? So resources around emotions, knowing where you start to fail. For me, a big one was um, when I met my partner, I was awful at randomly showing appreciation. Like, terrible. I didn't think about that. Like, I, I, I told you I loved you two weeks ago. I haven't said anything different. It hasn't changed. Why, why, are, you, why are you upset about this? Why are you worried about this? I don't get it. I don't understand. Um, I literally put, I went through my calendar and put in at random dates and times, you know, say something sweet. Like, literally put that in my calendar. And I did that for years, so much so that, like, my partner and I joke, like, I'll I'll be like, hey, babe. And he'll be like, what? And I'll be like, I love you. And he'll be like, did your calendar reminder just go off? And I'm like, I haven't used that for, like, five years now. He's like, sure. Because he knows me. And the fact that I went through that kind of trouble in order to express my emotions in that way was also in and of itself an expression of emotion. But first, I had to take what people were saying to me about my emotions and my ability to connect with them that way to heart, right? I had to believe that their experience was valid. Mm. Even though I'm like, but I told you, why do you need to hear it again? Makes no sense to me. Ah. Um, and that feedback about our emotions is yes. one of the things that we take the hardest, I think. Oh, because we have been, as neurospicy individuals, constantly told we're not normal, right? So that often feeds into that rejection sensitivity because we've had so much of it. So being told that we're not living up to expectations feels like the weight of every complaint we have ever received. Hmm. Yeah, it's hard for mm -hmm. sure. And yet we have to decide, do we want to make this person that we care about feel good in a relationship with us? The answer is either yes or no. And that answer is often revealing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And if the answer is no, that's fair, right? This is not the person for me. This is not the person for me right now. Mm -hmm. Temporarily, you know, I might be in the wrong space. But sometimes the answer is, you know what? I just don't give a fudge. <laughs> I don't I don't care enough to bridge that communication and emotional gap. And that's valid, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So next up we have and I think these are very tied together. The yes. intellectual resource management. Right. So intellectual resource management, rather than focusing specific, specifically on feelings, it's 
how we think and engage with the world, our ideas, our belief systems in some cases. Um, so literality. When I say something, you can take me at my word, right? A lot of um, discussions about neurospiciness versus neurocommons are high context versus low context. So literalness is low context, right? I like you. Very literal. It's three words. It means I like you. High context, how a lot of uh, neurocommons have learned to relate, I like you also comes with therefore expectation, desire, need, demand, and so on. So when you've got a low context person, who's often a very literal, very direct person, engaging with somebody who is high context and reads more into everything, we have a mismatch in communication, right? So understanding these things can make a huge difference because I can say to someone, you know what? I really like you. And they'll start thinking, oh, geez, we're just casually dating, but now she really likes me. And that means she's going to start putting the pressure on me and doing all these things and wanting all this stuff from me. And I just don't even know how to do. And then they can either, and this is the funny part, they then in that state either decide to, okay, well, I'm going to roll with it. She wants a relationship with me. Or they run the other direction and put an end to things because they're feeling threatened, both of which are entirely wrong. And I'm already past the I like you and into nothing needs to change because I would tell you if something needed to change, right? So this is our intellect, how we believe about things, how we interpret language, what our exformation is around words and behaviors. And some of that will be trauma, right? If somebody somebody says to you, oh, you're crazy. And we take offense because that's been used as a cudgel too many times in our life, right? So, but then there's also things like, um, sensory overload. Mm -hmm. That's part of our intellect. Bright light, loud noises, um, chunking of information. Like there are people I know who are going to really want to understand what we are saying right now. And they are going to pause this multiple times to process the information because they're not going to be able to follow it the way that I'm speaking. And for those of you out there that are like this, feel free to pause anytime, every time. I am a huge fan of that, right? Um, social cues. How do we process them and do we process them? For a lot of neurospicy people with the, the high context or the low context, with the social cues, with um, reading nonverbal communication, we started a baseline of nope, right? But as we get to know people and we get to care about them, 
our databases for that human grow, which is why a lot of neurospicy people can seem remarkably average when they are surrounded by their posse because they have spent years, months, or whatever learning each other's cues and filing them into that Rolodex in their brain. Um, also, <laughs> this is another one. Um, trouble concentrating in long conversations. It's not oh, just chunking so the information, right? It's also, okay, we've been talking about this for a while. I've already got point one, two, three, four, and five, and now they're adding 17. Ah, uh, I can't do it. Yeah. I'm out. Yeah. So knowing that, being able to say, if we get into a conversation, and it gets overwhelming, I will ask for a pause and to be able to request that you send me an email with written points that, or, you know, give me a cheat sheet before we have a conversation. Tell me we're going to have a conversation and give me an outline. And let's make sure that we don't have too many points on that, right? And it sounds really clinical, but my brain can hold like a thousand things at once because I'm the opposite of trouble stringing all this together. Whereas my partner who's neurocommon, um, mostly, he starts to disengage after I have thrown enough words at him and he cannot come back. So I literally tell him, Hey, I'd like to talk about X and so I'd like to do it, you know, in two days when we have dinner together. And, um, if you'd like me to send you a couple of talking points so you can think them over ahead of time, I will do that. And at first the, Hey, I want to have a conversation was really hard, right? Because then there's the anxiety for two days. But it came about that it was making it better for both of us to be able to engage that way. Um, I often need time to opt out yeah. and take a break. And yeah. also I have learned that if that's my expectation, I have to schedule the time when we're coming back to the conversation. Yes. So you it can't doesn't just leave just it hanging. Dropped. Right. Because then it becomes a relationship black hole. Mm -hmm. Right. You're both tiptoeing around that particular thing, but then something adjacent to that thing becomes a part of that thing because you haven't yet figured it's a huge thing. Yeah, absolutely. And then the last thing in the intellect is getting attention before you start talking. So like if somebody is hyper-focused on watching, you know, for my partner, YouTube cycling videos, right? And I start and he'll be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. He does. He, he didn't hear. He didn't hear. He, he was, he was trying. Like he did try to split his attention. He did not hear. So it's, hey, when you have a minute, babe, and then I wait. 
And that's just an average dude, right? Like this is the average people have this trouble as well. So there is nothing in any of these things, as far as I'm concerned, to be ashamed of when when realizing them about yourself and sharing them. Um, and if somebody tries to make you feel shame, then uh, hit the road, Jack, and don't you come back no more, no more, no more. Right. Like, just why? Mm -hmm. You know? And protecting your intellectual peace is a really important part of this. You get to decide what the rules are. You get to decide what the boundaries are. And then you get to maintain those expectations. Yes. That is, to me, um, a huge part of life. It's a huge part of love. It's a huge part of setting personal boundaries and being authentic is... I am this human here. You are that human over there. Where we choose to overlap, that's where we collaborate on our relationship. But you don't have to be a part of everything I do. I don't have to try to be a part of or control everything you do. We are autonomous adults choosing, opting in to each other's lives. So autonomy plays a big part in our next resource here, your yeah. physical resources. Yeah. And this is a big deal. Physical resources. So the first one I'm going to touch on is super serious. Um, HIPAA, your right to bodily autonomy and maintaining your own private information, especially medically. Not everyone needs to know your diagnoses right? You can talk about your neurotypes and about your behaviors without constantly having to focus in on, well, I'm ADHD, so there, you know, or I have rejection sensitivity dysphoria, so you have, no, just talk about your reactions, about your feelings, and so on and so forth. You can share your medical and your diagnosis if you choose, but you do not have to. And I think that that's really critically important. Um, but there's also, okay, illnesses, right? I talk a lot, especially recently, about um, the physical issues that I have gone through being diagnosed with BRCA1, getting a full hysterectomy, getting a double mastectomy and reconstruction. I talk about those things because I feel like they're not talked about enough. And then the hormones that go along with them, which, by the way, can absolutely affect how we experience our neurospiciness in many mm -hmm. ways. And if those get out of whack, that throws us right back into stress and right back into emotional turmoil and inability to handle our resources. So that's also a big thing that I talk about. That said, I could have gone through all of that and not told anyone except my partner who has medical power of attorney, right? <laughs> That's like, I could have been that and that would have also been valid. How much energy do we have? And not just how much energy do we have overall? Of course, there's the spoon theory, right? For chronically ill people. But how much energy do we have at different times of day? 
When are we at our best and how can we use that to connect with our partners in the best way possible? And when are we at our worst and how can we use that knowledge to avoid having really deep conversations at that time, right? Then there's also um, something as simple as flashing lights or strobes causing headaches, mm -hmm. migraines, epilepsy, you know, seizures, et cetera, et cetera. That is a physical thing that we are best off being aware of and sharing with others. Um, serious physical and emotional reactions to textures, right? <laughs> that can be huge for some people. And understanding that, knowing why somebody might, you know, touch something and then choose to sit, sit elsewhere that is not right next to you, their partner, right? Understanding things like that. Or, you know, the fact that sitting right next to you might put that bright light in their eyes or whatever it is. These are the types of things that being able to say these things to our partners is important. And if we can talk about them in toto, it makes it easier to mention, hey, um, if I sit there, my there's bright light right there. So I'm going to move over and sit across from you, right? Just, just that makes that conversation about how you didn't even sit next to me at the party with our friends not necessary. <laughs> right. Right? Like, um, and then, of course, personal touch. Mm -hmm. You know, do you like to be touched by other humans? What humans are you willing to be touched by? Do you prefer that somebody get your attention before touching you? That's a big one. Like, I don't mind being touched, but I want you to get my attention first so I'm not startled. My startle response is not good when it comes to touch. Um, hey, it is really lovely to meet you. Thank you so much. I am not a shaker. Right? You know, but coming up with something, I don't shake, but gosh, it's really lovely to meet you. You know, elbow bump, whatever it is. Figuring that out and making it clear to people as you engage with them, right? And being happy about it. Like, you don't have to be like, do touch me, right? It's hard, but that's also a part of our emotional regulation. People go on autopilot. And yeah, I know we shouldn't. You know, I tend to be like, are you a hugger? And if they say no, I'm like, okay, what would you prefer? Not everybody in the world is there yet. And if we let that affect our emotions, then that causes us pain more than it does them. So getting your physical resources in place, knowing that if you are around the energy of a lot of people, that will drain you. Not even, we're not even talking emotionally or intellectually, but literally physically drain you. Knowing this makes all the difference, especially if you can then communicate it to your partner.
Mm-hmm. I think casual touch is often overlooked, especially in heterosexual relationships mm-hmm. and the ways in which men tend to touch and grab and women tend to have mixed responses to that. It's important to know what your response is and where the limits are. Yeah, absolutely. And again, this is a challenge even for neurocommons because what happens is they get into these feedback loops. Um, One of the things is many people, especially AFABs or femme presenting folks, um, tend to recoil to touch that startles them or to touch from somebody who has recently hurt their feelings, dinged their emotions, right? And their partners will often then touch more to try to make that connection happen. And it causes this feedback loop of pushy, grabby, you know, stepping away. And then they're like, but I want, but I don't, ooh, ah, why are you so scary? I mean, and in normal, neuro-common het relationships, even in non-het relationships, in all relationships, there is often somebody who feels the need for physical closeness and somebody who is just a little bit more like, and it becomes that, you know, push, pull, push, grab, take, reject. And then that spirals. And it's rough because the touch sensitive person may not be trying to reject that touch, but it's a bid, right? So it's a bid for attention. And if I say no to that, I have to provide an alternative. If you say no to that and you care about the other person's feelings... Providing an alternative is ideal. But again, that goes back to emotional regulation and our resources there. Sometimes it's just, I can't right now. Mm-hmm. And that's all you're going to get. I don't have the emotional resources to be as kind and compassionate. And that, I would say that one of the things about most of these resources is that when we know we are challenged in certain areas, we can also start asking our partners to help us work out, like building a muscle at the gym. So, you know, that is key, right? You know, like, I know that sometimes this is hard for me. And if you can point out when it's being hard for me, maybe later... We can talk about other ways I can respond so that you know I'm not rejecting you. I'm rejecting the touch right at this moment or whatever that is, right? It's understanding ourselves and then sharing that with others. Yeah. And when it comes to our physical boundaries, often it's trauma or learned response that we may not be intellectually aware of. So being able to have those conversations about it really does make a difference. 
huge, huge having the conversations. And also, I mean, all of this comes with actually searching ourselves, which we'll talk about more in other episodes, understanding how we have been in relationships and where we have ourselves been less than ideal in situations, um, as well as saying, well, they didn't understand me. I didn't understand myself, so I couldn't make it clear to them. How could they have understood me? Mm. So many yes. tangles <laughs> to unravel here. It's gonna be it's gonna be a fun time. Okay. Material. I'm 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 curious by your inclusion on this list. I get it, but tell us why. So there's a there's a couple of reasons. One, um, neurospicy people, just like neurocommons, often have challenges with money flow. Or some are really, really, really good at making money, but not so much at protecting it, right? And balancing that out with their social interactions. So a lot of neurospicy people will actually kind of use money as a substitute for social grace, right? So these are the types of things that we want to keep an eye on. And then the other thing when it comes to materials, and this is a big resource for certain neurotypes. Mine. Don't touch mine. Don't move mine. Don't change the order of mine. Don't, you know, like get me that kind of sock versus this kind of sock. Like mine, mine, right? There are very particular things. And again, neurocommons have this. I've talked with people who are like, yeah, you know, there's a story in my book um, about. I had Nicole says, who moved my cheese? Exactly. But there's a story in my book about somebody who um, spent a lot of time over at their partner's place. So they took over some of their special coffee. And then they went over and they wanted some of that special coffee and it was gone because their partner thought it was okay oh, no. to have some of that special coffee. And that person was like, what a monster. How could this, how could they think that is okay? That is my special coffee. You like crap coffee. How could you drink my coffee, right? Go get more of your crap coffee. And, but that was a mismatch, right? It was something that this person had a very specific boundary around their stuff that the other person did not know. Did they say never, ever, ever, uh -huh. ever, 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 ever drink my coffee? I know it might sound silly to you. I, I, I understand it seems incredibly persnickety and weird. Don't touch my coffee. And also don't touch this thing, this thing, or this thing. Everything else, fine. But these things, mine. Absolute, like... Here's one. My partner cycles and he has like 800 water bottles 
for cycling. Now, some of his water bottles can go into the dishwasher and some of them cannot. Do you think I'm going to remember which are Absolutely not. So those bottles go right next to the sink. And once there are like 13 or so there, after about a week, I say, hey, babe, can you put the ones that can go in the dishwasher in the dishwasher and hand wash the other ones so that I don't have to fudge it all up beyond recognition? Material things. Right. And again, neuro comments have this. Don't wash this shirt. It fits exactly the way I want it. Don't wash it. I will handle it. Simple. And yet it needs to be said. Mm -hmm. And I think so much of this is about understanding where communication needs to happen. Right. Yes. Yeah. The the next big book project I'm working on is actually called Action Speak Louder Than Words. How we um, miscommunicate and kill our relationships with too much talking. The idea being that we focus too much on the words that come out of our mouths when something goes wrong versus the behavior that we put into relating to each other from the moment we meet until the end of time. And that is also communication. It's just a different type. It's the right communication at the right time so that we don't have to have as many big relationship talks, which are really hard to concentrate through for some people, mm -hmm. later. And that's really, really, really important when we get to our next resource, which is sexual, because these are hard enough conversations to have to begin with. Yeah. So sexuality. I mean, you've got your basics, right? You've got who are you attracted to, um, which for a lot of neurospicy people can seem oddly specific or weirdly erratic to neuro commons. Um, think of, and, and I know that a lot of people don't like this word, but sapiosexuality, demisexuality, asexuality, gray sexuality. There's one that I learned, I think it was last year, the year before, fray sexuality for people who love sex when it's new but then they lose their sexual attraction to somebody they've been having sex with for a while. Mm -hmm. Right. And if understand you understand that this one pattern, pattern in your life and you know, this is a thing, then you might create, you know, queer platonic partnerships or life bonds that are primarily asexual because you love that person and you have your flings. Right. But you have to know these things about yourself in order to even start creating the life that fulfills you and doesn't harm your partner. Then you've also got things like drive, libido, arousal, and orgasm. So, how much do you think about sex? What is your 
emotional and intellectual drive to get sex? How much effort are you willing to put into it? What does it take for you to be aroused when you are in the act of sex? And then can you orgasm? And all of those things can be affected not only by our neurotypes, but also by the medications That's that so we might huge. be on to manage our neurospiciness, right? So that adds an additional complexity. And oftentimes, I wrote a book on um, orgasms. Um, and sexuality and pleasure and how to, you know, have more and better, clearly stating, if that's what you want, right? Because if you don't care, that's fine too, right? Like, I'm not here to tell everybody, you have to orgasm, it's the most amazing thing in the world. Some people love sex just fine without orgasm, and they hate being asked, did you come? No, I didn't come. I told you I wouldn't come. And don't make it like a sport or a challenge to try to make me come. I'm here for radically different things. And again, this happens to neurocommons. I know a man who just doesn't come easily for reasons unbeknownst to anybody, doesn't matter, who has been shamed and harmed emotionally because some of his partners took that personally. They made it about mm -hmm. them instead of understanding that this is who he was and, you know, how he is. And he still very much enjoyed sex with them and would be happy to tell them that over and over and over again. And that's where we get all mixed up. And the thing about sex, again... Wherever you are, whatever you feel, that is valid. If you go into a relationship knowing these things about yourself, but pretending otherwise, shame on you, right? Don't try to hook somebody. Now, if you go into a relationship thinking oh, I'm really into this person, blah, blah, blah. And then maybe you find out you're fray sexual because that happens a couple of times. That's valid. They're going to be hurt. They're going to be harmed. You're still learning about yourself. But let's try to figure these things out as much as possible so that we can communicate them to others and not try to pretend towards neurocommonality. Yeah, because that's harmful when yes. we're not honest about our needs or our resources, then it becomes harmful. It's harmful to us as well, mm -hmm. because, again, all of those resources that we have, some of them are then depleted because we're putting those resources into masking right? Into being somebody other than who we are and wondering in the back of our head, when is the act going to fail? When are they going to find out they don't really like who I am? And that harms us. And of course, 
it's harmful and unethical to other people when we try to present ourselves as something that we're not. And they're opting in to that relationship. And then, of course, and we've all done this. Well, maybe not you because you got married very young and whatever. But all of us who have been like in multiple relationships have done this where, you know, we present the best side of ourselves. And then when these other bits that we were kind of like pushing away and hiding and masking and whatever come out, we're like, well, you don't really love me. You never really loved me. No, I did. I love the person you presented. It's not my fault that you presented something different. This is going to be a theme as we go through all of this. Authenticity, boundaries, being radically neurospicy, like the whole thing. It's a huge theme. I'm warning you. On that one, I did luck out because we were both children when we got married. Right. And so we have grown up together. We are absolutely not the same people. We were 25 and you are years ago. Both must be both very lucky and very skilled because that is an incredibly difficult journey for people. Because as you grow up, you grow into different humans than you each thought you were going to be. Whew. Like, that's just like chills, mad props there. Thank you, skilled and also stubborn as fuck. So, like. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Okay. So, finally, our resource of time. Time. Yes. Okay. So challenges neurospicy people have with time. How much alone time or recharge time do you need? Time blindness. I was, I was just thinking, um, when I was younger, I was out with a friend of mine. My father reminded me of this not too long ago. I was out with a friend of mine. We were told to come back in an hour. I kept saying, no, no, we've still got a few more minutes. And we came back six and a half hours later. Ah. Time blindness, huge. Right. And hyper-focus can totally make that time blindness even more of a thing. Um, attention, overwhelm. Like when we have too many things to do and we're not good, we've got that executive dysfunction going on and time begins slipping away in our overwhelm and anxiety. It just dribbles out of the clock and we don't even see it going. And a lot of people who are challenged with time, like me, might have um, calendar appointments set where it's like the appointment's at one, but I am reminded at the time to leave. I am reminded at 30 minutes before that. I am reminded an hour before that. I am reminded two hours before that. I am reminded six hours before that because that is how I'm going to not only know it's coming up, but remember to prepare myself for that thing to happen. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'll arrive to things 15 minutes early because I don't, know how long it's going to take me to get there or um, 
whether or not I'm going to be able to make it on time. So I might as well not do this thing ahead of time because it might take five minutes. It might take two hours and I don't want to start there. So I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to get there early and I'm going to wait outside the door because I can't afford to be late or miss it because I get distracted by something else. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> right? So a lot of this, all of these things, and by the way, every single one of those six things, the emotional, the intellectual, the physical, the material, the sexual, and the time, those are the six boundary types I talk about in my book, Take No Shit. Because... Thank you. Lovely tie-in. <laughs> because those are the huge... Uh, uh oh Oh, I have you. Okay. Okay. For, for oh, some... and I have your video back now too. Yay. Okay. For some second, it just, it just like refreshed itself automatically. So, okay. So here we are. Um, so a lot of this is, you know, what do you need for yourself? How do you protect your resources? How do you communicate those resources, those needs, those wants, right? Being, we have to get real about all of this stuff with ourselves. Get real, get radically neurospicy, where we don't just accept ourselves, but we own our differences, right? We're open and honest about those things at all times, even when we're scared that it's going to, you know, frighten somebody away. We're going to invite others to opt into our lives and our challenges. We're going to do our best to improve all of our relationship results through understanding ourselves and finding or building, creating the tools for our flavor of NeuroSpicy and I've said this before, I truly believe by being open and clear about our neurospiciness, we are inviting others to do the same. And I, I, I strongly suggest actually inviting your neuro common partner to share where they have felt misunderstood in the past so that you are both adding in these challenges and traumas and experiences and so on and so forth. Because then I feel like it normalizes the idea that none of us are really normal. Right? We might be average, but there are areas where we are extra normal, mm -hmm. super normal, and areas where we fall behind. And this is natural. This is how humanity grows and develops as a species. Right? So I have this thing. I call it the user guide. Y-O-U-S-E-R. User guide. And it's kind of like a resume, right, of who I am as a person and in relationships. Um, and it's something that I wrote up for myself. And as I got to know my partner, I shared it with my partner bit by bit. Um, it's iterative. As I go along and I learn things about myself and I find out, ooh, my partner did this thing and that really freaking worked, I put it in. 
right? This really works to do X, Y, Z. Or, you know, we go along and I'm like, oh, you know what? Now that I'm getting older, I am less flexible in certain areas of my life. I put that in there too, right? Um, and so I've, I've got some examples. Like, I, and I'm kind of funny with mine. I literally lay it out like a curriculum vitae, right? So it's like, this is the resume of who I am, right? It's got like, you know, here is my age, you know, here it, it, it tells all you the have silly to details. have fun with this kind of stuff. I certainly do. Whether other people do or not, you know, again, this goes back to, you know, are we super literal? Mm -hmm. um, but so I have things like um, some of my manufacturer's defects. Um, bees is an allergy. MRI contrast liquid. I don't have any food allergies that I know of. Physical defects. I've got, you know, this bumpy, broken nose here um, at age four. I've got odd vitals. Um, my blood pressure is super low so that people are like literally concerned the first time they doctor me. My temperature runs a degree lower than normal. Um, I have weird paradoxical drug reactions, probably having to do with my brand of neurospiciness. And I have slight hearing difficulties right? Loud, loud environments, I can barely hear a thing. I have empathy deficit disorder, so I don't react and engage the way many people do, and it takes time for me to work, warm up. Sexual defects, none currently known. Material defects, I tend towards thriftiness, except I also tend to put way too much money into my business. <laughs> like, again, knowing these things, um, intellectual defects. And no, I don't think this is a defect for anybody else. I am making fun, right? ADHD and obstinacy. <laughs> Time defects, see ADHD. <laughs> um, I also had things like dangerous buttons to push, lack of accountability. I don't empathize with those who use their own hurt and trauma as an excuse to harm or traumatize others. I'm a planner. I generally plan my calendar in advance and I'm not super flexible about it. If you have something last minute or urgent and you bring it to me, I don't generally make it a priority. Like if I have a last minute opening, I may reach out or look for adventure, but more often I'm just going to enjoy the unscheduled downtime. And um, I also put in my hours, best brain between 5 a.m. and 5 p.m., Dinner conversation can recharge me. I tend to shut down by 10 p.m., right? So, and of course, there's a whole lot more in there. I just wanted to give some examples related to what we've been talking about today as these are things that I can share not only with intimate partners, but with friends. Um, we have, you know, we'll have friends over. My partner is a, a, a night owl. We have friends over. We'll do dinner. I'll be lively and fun. And then at around, you know, 8.50, I'll be like, okay, y'all, have a good night. And I literally just walk up, you know, smooch, smooch, kiss, kiss, whatever. I walk up the stairs and I just go to sleep. And they stay down here partying for however long they want to and drinking and doing whatever. And they laugh and they'll be like, oh, it's 5.30. Is it your bedtime yet? 
And you know, hey, the limit is the limit. Exactly. And they have gotten to know it. Yes, they think it's kind of odd, but I've never been drunk in my life. And I think it's odd that they like to drink beer that tastes like whatever it tastes like. I don't, ugh, right? Like, I think that's odd. It's okay. We all have our oddities, our peccadilloes, and our weirdnesses, right? I'm okay with this. Um, Nicole had a comment. I tried to communicate pain yesterday and it ended in hours of conflict. I know I could have done better. There are many, many nuggets of gold in this conversation that are helpful. I'm excited to be better able to communicate myself and understand others. This is such important work. Thank you. I am so glad, Nicole, that this is meaningful to you. And I hope that as we go through the episodes that you'll be able to join us and um, find, you know, the best path for yourself and the best way to, you know, connect with uh, your partner or your partners or your friends or your family or whatever. Because, yeah, life is so much better for everyone when we feel like we belong and we feel loved and appreciated. And that's such a good segue, Nicole or anyone else. We have a hotline. If yeah. y'all would like to call and leave us specific questions or information, that number is 402-819-9939. I'm going to have to make it bigger next time so I can see it <laughs> properly. Yeah, I know that challenge too. I'm also 50 and I'm like, Right. Like, apparently I need to get my eyes checked again. That's what I've learned just Same. now. Same. I want you all to reach out. Like, these are, these are so hard. And we want to be able to provide you the specific assistance that you need. Because we feel like it'll probably help people like you, like us. There's so much overlap in the ways in which we do unintentional harm. Delightful. <laughs> she decided to join the conversation. It's always kitty time around here. <laughs> Listen, let us know if we can help yeah. you. We would like to be able to help you. And we've got a bunch of great stuff coming. So next episode... We're going to be talking about putting yourself out there. Oof, yeah. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Deep breaths, y'all. I mean, even I, I, I will tell you, I will admit this and then, you know, we'll leave it until the next episode, but I will get out there and I will like hit, you know, like dating apps and so on and so forth hard for like seven to 15 days. And then I just forget they exist for a month or seven. <laughs> uh, and, then, and then I'll go back and I'll be like, oh, we were in the middle of a conversation. So sorry. Had nothing to do with you, all me. If uh, you're still interested in chatting, how about let's get together for tea? Because until I've actually met you in person and sat across a table and talked to you, you barely exist for me. Right. In that particular, like in the whole, you know, kind of like dating or whatever. Oh, and if people are wondering why I'm talking about like dating apps and so on and so forth, while I am also partnered, I am non-monogamous. So 
you know, ethically non-monogamous. We both are. It is, you know, not something I like to flout, but if you get curious why I'm talking about my partner and how much I freaking adore him and like he's the most wonderful human I've ever known. And I'm also on dating apps. That's the reason. And that too is part of the discussion that we wish to be able to bring to you. So we will see you all again next time for putting yourself out there. This episode and all of the episodes in this masterclass will be available on the Neurodiversity Media Network. If you have not subscribed yet, that is $25 a month, $300 a year. You get the entire back catalog. You get a bunch of special bonuses that come along with each class. Uh, and you get resources to help build out these tools and skills. So we would love to have you and we will see you all next time. Thanks for being here. Bye y'all. Bye y'all.